So this morning I want to talk about the church, the people of God, something I'm really passionate about because the church is God's plan A. It's his presence on the earth through his people. And I want to talk about it like a building site, uh, full of glory, but in the process, and messy at times as well. And uh, just before I do, I want to share just a pretty amazing story, really, from this week. Um, so, as lots of you guys will know, we often go out on the streets uh, down in Potidur and we try and see, you know, what God will do. We want to pray for people. We want to share the gospel, share prophetic words, help anyone who needs help, um, and just connect with people and help connect them with God. And we do that quite a bit. Um, and we went down, Matt and I went down this uh, Thursday night. But just a kind of background to Thursday night, I was, my whole family's been sick all week. Um, my two little boys have been on antibiotics. My wife's been on antibiotics. I didn't manage to get on antibiotics. It was just well enough not to, but we've all just kind of been wiped out for the week. Um, and it's just been one of those low weeks, really, of just sickness and not a lot of sleep. And then um, as I was going out on Thursday night, I probably shouldn't have gone out, really, because I was probably a bit sick, but I was like, I just want to go. I just want to do this. And then I get a call from my grandma to say that my auntie is in hospital and, and we don't really know what's happening and do we need to go down there, do we not go? Um, you know, it's all this all stuff just before I left to go out. And so my head wasn't exactly like in the mind space of let's see what God will do. It was kind of like over here and over here and a bit fuzzy, we were still feeling sick. But Matt and I met and we, we prayed in the car and then we just started walking around um, the streets and we kind of were chatting and, and Matt, was, he's so provoking um, he's such a good friend actually, he's so, such a gift of God in my life, but a gift of God to this church because he provokes us and he's full of God and he wants to step out into more of God and I have the privilege of being a good friend of his and he, um, he said to me, I think we've just got a bit safe, like we're just kind of, we need to step out and take some acts of courage and I thought to myself, yeah that's, that's totally right, I feel like I'm almost waiting for someone to have Bible open sitting there going, somebody please tell me about God and then I can step in and tell them. Um, rather than just taking an act of courage and seeing what God will do in situations that aren't quite as easy as that. And so we were at the, at the bus stop, and uh, we decided that we would go over and just say, see what would happen. There was a, a bunch of people at the bus stop, including six, a group of six young women, and we just went up to them and said, hey, we're practicing to hear God's voice. Do you want us to try and hear what God will say for you? And they were like, yeah, yeah okay, we'll give that a go. And so at that point, I had nothing. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if Matt had anything at that moment either. We're kind of like, all right, God, we've stepped out of the boat and we're sinking here. And so we stepped out with like two or three words from God, we call them words of knowledge, where it's like God tells you something about someone else. Stepped out with two or three of those, all of them were wrong. And they're like, nah, that's not me. We tried for a name, got that one wrong. Oh, that's not. And then one of us had a word for a sore knee. And one of the, the uh, young women was like, yeah, I've got a sore knee from an injury. And so I was like, oh, maybe we could pray for you. At that point, the bus turns up that they're about to hop on. And it was like, can I just pray really quickly? God, heal your knee. They're on the bus. And we walk away and think, oh, you know, that's the end of that. Um, kind of, that's what happens when you speak to someone who's waiting for a bus. The bus turns up. <laughs> so, um, but as we were walking away, we heard this voice behind us. And someone was like, wait up, wait up. And all six young women had got off the bus and decided to not catch that bus so they could come and talk to us and find out, well, what are you doing? You know, how do you hear God's voice? What are you guys up to? So we just started this conversation that lasted like, I don't know, an hour, 45 minutes of just God breaking in. And they were saying, you know, they, they came from backgrounds similar to ours, kind of religious families, but they were in a position where they're like, well, how do I know if God is real? And how do I find out more about him? 
um, you know, we know about God, but how do we kind of know him ourselves? And so we just started to, to pray for them. We prayed for them as a group. We just prayed that God would just come and, and be there by his spirit in the bus stop and just meet them by his love because he, he loves to do that. And actually a lot of people think, how do I find God? How do I find God? Actually, that's kind of the wrong question in one sense. It's a good question, but the more accurate question would be, how do I let myself be found by God? Because he's looking for people. And we just explained that to them. God is looking for you. He's not hard to be found. And so we started praying for them and said, hey, would you guys like us to listen out for what God might say to you personally? Which is how we started the conversation. And um, so we started praying and just saying, God, what do you want to say to each individual as we kind of went round? And it was just amazing. It was just God breaking out. And we had specific and accurate prophetic words for all six of them over the course of this hour and 45 minutes. Words that left some of them in tears, just crying, saying, how did you know that about me? How do you, how do you know this stuff? Or, or they'd be being prayed for and maybe have their eyes shut and their friends would be going, that's exactly right, that's exactly their gifting, that's exactly what they're going through right now. And some of it was pretty personal stuff that just kind of cut them to the heart. And they said, there's a God that knows me. There's a God at a bus stop at night who knows me. And just this powerful time. And three of them, or, or at least three of them, were saying to us, hey, we've been asking about like, heaven and hell. What, what is what is it about heaven and hell? What's the truth about this? We've been, we've been wanting to know. We've even prayed and said, God, will you show us and give us a dream? And one of the girls had had a really disturbing dream, which left her really afraid. Where basically in this dream, hell overtook her. And in this dream, her family didn't understand. And they were going to one place and she was powerless to, to get away from hell that was just like coming over her like a big dark cloud over her house. And she was quite troubled really by this. And so I was able just to say, hey, well, could I just share with you a little bit about this? And got out um, a gospel tract called The Test and just went through it with them. Just a few diagrams saying, this is, uh, this is the truth about you know, where God loves us, he created us, but we're separated from him with sin. As good as you are, you know, how many times you go to church, you can't deal with this problem of sin by yourself. It needs to be Jesus who does that for you. And heaven and hell, really, that's about God wants everyone. He wants all his children home. But if you, if you reject his son, there's only one place to go when you die, and that is hell. So we just explained the gospel, really. And all, all six of them were just like listening and attentive and wanting to know more and asking questions. It was just this holy moment, really. And um, we, we prayed some more, we talked some more, and then Matt was just saying to them, hey, you can, you can know this now if you want to, you know. You don't have to be in church. You don't have to clean up your act because they were saying things like, you know, I just want to know how to, how, to, how to take steps towards God or clean myself up to come to him. And Matt and I were saying, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. You just have to take a step of, of like surrender. And you can do that in a bus stop at Porirua, 8 o'clock at night. And so we said, well, do you want that? And at least four, maybe all six of them said, yes, that's what we want. So we, we prayed, and I prayed out loud, and I said, if this is your, your moment, then you, you, know, you take it. You know, don't feel pressured that you have to do this right now, but if you feel it, just pray what I'm praying in your heart. And we prayed, and, and God was there, and people were, some of the girls were saying, we just feel this weight lifted off us. Um, and we prayed some more for the Spirit of God to come upon them, and it was just wow. amazing, really. So we prayed for all six of them, but over sort of, you know, you talk about this, then you pray for a person. It was all kind of in a big group, and... They were connecting with us really well. We just felt a real like, heart connection with them. And, and the two last people we haven't prophesied over yet, uh, Matt said to them, well, you know, every child of God gets to hear the voice of God. It's, it's a privilege of everyone. It's not for the, the elite or the special. Every child of God gets to hear his voice. He's the shepherd. 
he's a good father. So Matt gave us this like 10 minutes of, or, or just a short, like, this is how you hear God's voice in the street, at a bus stop, at night, in just teaching and really discipling us on how you hear God's voice. And so when we prayed for these last two, we said to their friends, why don't you hear God and hear what he might say to you about your friends? And we'll do it too, whereas previously it had just been from us. And so they were, they were he hearing these words from God and saying, oh, I'm just, I just see this word. And, and we'd say, well, what, how do you think that relates? And they'd start sharing about, oh, this person's so loving and they treat me like family, even though I'm not family and they love me to bits. And they were starting to prophesy and share over one another. And it was just beautiful to see people hearing God's voice who have just kind of come to know God or taken steps towards him. Um, and then they said to us at the end, they said, well, can we pray for you? And we were like, yes, that'd be amazing. So probably they were praying, probably about three of them prayed out loud over us. And it was just a touching moment, really. And they even had a few prophetic words for us as well. And it was just, it was just incredible. And really, I think that is, you know, that's... That's God wanting to get our attention. You know, this isn't just a story for me to kind of, yay, God did one thing and let's move on. It's like, I feel like God is really on stories like this at the moment to say, come on, church family, let's take some risks. Let's do some stuff. Yeah, why don't we just praise God? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Because he's willing to do stuff if we'll take that step out of the boat. And even like last Sunday, there were prophetic words that came that cut to the heart for certain people, and you just think, wow, God is speaking, and we want more of it, don't we? Yeah. But it takes yeah. that stepping out of the boat to go, man, I'm going to look foolish and get it wrong, or, or, or I'm going to give it a shot and see what happens. I'm going to sing out and worship, and my voice might not be you know, like laurels, but I'm going to try it anyway. You know? but it's, it's that taking a risk that God loves and he honors, and he wants to breathe on. That's what it means to be the church, isn't it? Yeah. Seeing God move amongst us. Absolutely. Awesome. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 6, we're going to look at a passage about the church, and we're going to draw just a few points from it. There's lots in there, but I just want to pick out a few bits here and there that I felt God was speaking to me about out of Acts chapter 6. So as I said, um, we're looking at the church as a building site where the glory of God comes, but it's messy. You know, you've been around church long enough, you realize there's mess because there's people, <laughs> And things go wrong, and people hurt each other, and things don't always go the way we want, but that's okay, because God is building something beautiful, and we're going to see that through this passage. So we're going to read from 1 to 10, and, and I'll, I'll read through it. You can see it on the screen or, or read in your Bible. In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic, or Greek-speaking Jews among them, complained against the Hebraic, that's Hebrew-speaking or Aramaic-speaking Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 
And just a little bit more, it carries on about another story, but it just explains a bit more about one of the seven that they chose for this task. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandra, Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And the passage goes on to talk about how they accused him. So a bit of a context to this passage. As we're in the book of Acts, where there was 120 disciples of Jesus who were scared. Uh, Jesus had died. He'd been raised to life again. He'd, he'd revealed himself to his disciples and spoken to them. He said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit. And they were praying. And then suddenly the Spirit moves in power. And this 120 small group of scared people become 3,120. And they keep growing and growing. And the Spirit of God moves so powerfully through them that they become the talk of all of Jerusalem. They get transformed into bold believers and suddenly miraculous signs and wonders are being done. And even town out, towns outside of Jerusalem are being affected. And in the previous chapter, it kind of gives a bit of a commentary on what, what this group of people were like. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and they are meeting in a certain place. And in verse 14, More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So the church is growing hugely in numbers and in power. People are even bringing out their sick so that someone's shadow might fall on them and they'll get healed. People are coming in from all the towns around Jerusalem just to be healed and to get uh, demonic oppression off their family members and off themselves as God is just breaking out in power. People are selling everything to give to the church and they're giving them to the leaders and the leaders are distributing to the poor. Peter and John heal a man who was disabled from birth and he gets up and can walk around. Basically, this group of people, it's like heaven on earth. It's like a people that no one had ever seen on the face of the earth before. It's like the goodness and the love of God showed up in a community and the whole of Jerusalem could see it and were wondering, what is this about this people? It's just phenomenal. But then we pick up in chapter 6. We start to see that God is growing this church, but there's some messy building site stuff going on. There's a bit of rubbish around as well as the building goes up. We see that the Greek-speaking Jews bring a pretty serious complaint to the leaders that their widows are some of the most vulnerable, some of the most overlooked people in that culture, some of the most uh, isolated, maybe they might have anyone to look after them. These people were not being looked after by the church. In fact, they were not even getting bread to eat. That's pretty serious. They're not getting the very bread they needed to eat. And the church um, is hearing this complaint from its people. Now, we don't really know whether um, this was deliberate or whether it was just a case of two different people groups of two different languages and cultures not, not communicating well, not administrating well, not being able to pull things together and understand each other and see what needed to be done happen. Which is pretty, a pretty serious complaint because for God, it's always been high on his agenda to look after the poor and the vulnerable in society. 
In the Old Testament, it's a big deal. And in the New Testament, it's a big deal. And James says in 1 James 27, religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So it's not some small petty problem. It's that this group of people who speak one language are neglecting another group of people and their most vulnerable in that group are, not, are going hungry. And what is the church going to do about it? You know what I find about this story? I find it so encouraging. <laughs> it might sound weird. You might be like, why would you find widows not eating encouraging? And if you say it like that, it sounds pretty sadistic, really. But that's not what I mean. The reason why I find it so encouraging is because this church was amazing in seeing the glory of God come, and yet they still had problems that they had to work through. So they, had, they were awe-inspiring, this church. They were firing on all cylinders. They were seeing the kingdom of God spread to the community around and seeing healing and salvation, and yet they had proper, serious, important uh, problems that they had to work through and find solutions for. The reason why I find that so encouraging is that serious issues in the church is not a sign that God has left his people. And I'll say it again. Serious issues in the church is not a sign that God has left his people or left the building, so to speak. And I find that encouraging because it's the same for us. We're a, we're a people where God is. And God is amongst us, and we love that. And yeah, we need to see a lot more of it, don't we? Like we want to see more of what the book of Acts looks like. We'll see more glory, more people saved, healed, added, thousands of people coming to know Jesus. But the truth is, God is here, and we encountered him even this morning, and it's powerful. But at the same time, we are encountering, will encounter, have encountered serious problems that we have to work through as a community and deal with and work with each other and be understanding and all that kind of stuff. My encouragement is this, is that sometimes... When you're building something beautiful, when God is building something beautiful, there's mess that you need to deal with along the way. And my encouragement to us as a people would be, we need to decide in our hearts that it's not if but when problems will arise, how are you going to react when those problems arise? How are you going to react when you've got a problem against someone or a group or leadership or, or a miscommunication? I would encourage you, set it in your heart now that you'll decide to be gracious and understanding and seek to understand what's happening with the person in front of you before being understood. Seek to give before taking in that sense. And seek to do conflict well rather than kind of going behind the scenes or passive-aggressive or, or, um, or just not dealing with it head-on in love because that's what God calls us to do. It's interesting, in this passage, some commentators would say that what happened was they grumbled, they complained, and it was like... It was like the Luke, who was writing Acts, was harking back to the Old Testament when the people started grumbling and complaining against Moses and God uh, in the desert. And actually, what God, how he responds to that is that he sees it as unbelief, and they stay out of the promised land for another 40 years. So that's a pretty sobering for us, that we want to react well when things go wrong so that we don't stay in the wilderness, and that we can work with each other, and that the purpose of any conflict is that you get closer towards someone, not that you're right or that you push them away. So that's my first encouragement from this passage, is that God is in the house, there still might be issues, but it's how, where our heart's at to respond to them and to, and to act in love. And that's really what a culture of honour looks like. It's, not, it's all easy, it's all fine, and you're amazing, I'm amazing, we're all amazing, things are fine and dandy. It's when the rubber hits the road and someone upsets you, 
where they're still going to go, you're valuable and I'm going to move towards you and work through our problems or towards leadership or towards my connect group leader or my friend who I've been friends with in church for a long time because I honour you, there's a value in you and I want to come closer to you and work through our problems for the sake of our relationship growing and the word of God spreading and the kingdom of God breaking out. So I guess to be a bit more lighthearted about it, problems will come and that's fine. God is in the house and that's good. We want more of them too. So my next point really from this passage that struck me was it's interesting that the issue in this church arises among cultural cultural or racial lines. That's where the problem occurs. Both these groups were, were Jewish in origin or in, in, their, in their nationality, but actually one was Hebrew speaking or Aram- Aramaic speaking and one was Greek speaking and with that came a very different kind of way they did faith before they came to Christ, the way they did faith after they came to Christ, the way they do life, the way they react with one another, um, their pride about, about Jerusalem, all those kind of things. There'd be differences amongst those groups, and that's where we see this problem occur. But those, those differences between cultures are not bad things. In fact, they're to be celebrated. But the problem is, is that the enemy loves to get a wedge in between where we see things differently, whether it's ethnically, culturally, from our backgrounds. The devil likes to draw a wedge in between and separate people as opposed to us celebrating differences, working them through, and celebrating each other's cultures. The reason why the enemy hates that and seeks to divide the church like he did in this instance, you know, trying to split people apart on cultural lines, is that he knows that a church that's multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-background, and is one, is unified and inclusive and loving of all its members and the world outside of it, that is a miraculous sign that Jesus is alive. And it's a sign that the world goes, well, he must be alive, because in the, in the real world that doesn't really happen, where people act in love, not by trying to make each other like each other, but by celebrating each other's differences and the lens they bring to the gospel and the good news about God. And you know, that's a massive part of what we're called to be as a community right here, King's Church locally. We want to be diverse in our expression of worship, diverse in our culture, diverse in the people amongst us, but unified in heart and in love through Jesus. In Ephesians, it says that he broke down the walls of hostility between the groups and made us one. So we need to fight against that. We need to fight against when our differences come Fight against that pulling away from each other and say, we're going to try and understand. I'm going to seek to understand before being understood. I'm going to take steps towards you, although you're different to me. And I want to celebrate what Jesus is doing through your culture and the way you express faith. It's a great quote by a guy called Leslie Newbegin that says this. He says, we need the witness of Christians from other cultures to correct our culturally conditioned understanding of Scripture. Say that again. It's quite, quite meaty. We need the witness of other Christians, of Christians of other cultures, to correct our culturally conditioned understanding of Scripture. What that means is that a lot of the times you think, well, I think I know what the gospel looks like, but a lot of what's attached to that is actually my Western culture, and I think, oh, well, that's the gospel because it's right. And it's like, actually, I need other cultures around me to go, hey, you need to look at this part or this part or, or see that that's cultural, not the gospel. The thing is, no culture has a monopoly on knowing God or in the way that's expressed. 
So we actually need each other to safeguard that and bring that to the table so that the gospel doesn't go off on this track that follows culture and do, does things that are completely out of the heart of God. So an example would be in Western culture, or, or there's some extremes in Western culture, Christian Western culture, where it's like, hey, if you're struggling for money, clearly you're not blessed of God. But if you're like a billionaire, that means God loves you so much more and you must have the wisdom and you must have grace and favor, but your poor friend doesn't because, well, otherwise God would have given them all the money. Actually, that's, that's cultural, not gospel. <laughs> and actually, Paul says, I've learned to be content whether I have lots or have nothing. And it's about the gospel. And yeah, we want to, be, we want to flourish in our money. We want to give it away. We want to be generous. But, it's, but we need to work out actually what is cultural and what is actually what God is calling us to do and how we act around things like money. Actually, just a side note, more and more I realize God gives me money, yeah, for my provision, but it's so I can be generous and give it away and sow it into the kingdom. And it's so much fun doing that. It's good. We've got a gift at the moment. It's a good challenge for that. So actually, all, all cultures bring an element to the gospel or a lens to the gospel that every other culture in the room needs. So an amazing, I think a great example of this is, and just looking at my own culture for a moment here, we, in the sort of Western mindset, we often play down a spiritual warfare of life and we think, oh, I'm just going through a tough time because, you know, it's winter and all the bugs are going around and I've just been sick all the time and it won't change, or whatever. You know, you kind of go, this is just life and this is how it is. I can scientifically tell you why I'm going through this problem or this problem, whatever. Actually, there are other cultures, and I'm thinking of especially like African cultures, Nigerian, Zimbabwe, and they are good at spiritual warfare. And they're good at praying with zeal and going, God, we want to see breakthrough on this. We're not just going to say it's okay that these bad things are happening. We're going to fight. We're going to see God break in. We're going to, we're going to wage warfare. We're going to pray with, with passion. And you know what? I need that. I really need that. I need that understanding of, of prayer and warfare in my life. And that passion that comes with it. I'm just, I was just thinking the other day about uh, when Esther was singing um, I can't remember what song it was, it was powerful, and Tatenda comes up and just starts dancing, and suddenly there's like a shift in the atmosphere of the room, and passion breaks out, and other people are dancing, and it's like, wow, this is, this is the zeal and the passion that, that we need as a church, and we can learn from these guys, and we need more of it, so please, you know, keep going, don't, don't feel like you've got to uh, change to be like us, we need what that brings, you know, and that, and that sense of passion, we need more of it, so, so good. And actually, I love it when people worship and it's like, oh, the God who's full of joy, that joy actually bubbled up in me so much that it reached my face. You know, I actually smiled in worship or I actually danced because I actually believe that God is amazing and that he saved me and that, I want to, that it's changed my whole life. And I learned that from guys like, or, um, cultures like yours. It's amazing. So if all, elements bring an, an, all, all cultures bring an element to the gospel, we need to learn to celebrate that and move towards each other and help one another in that. I would encourage you, get next to Delhi in a prayer meeting. You know, you will learn something. <laughs> and I, I haven't been to one yet, but I, I know you guys do prayer meetings, you know, with other people from African nations. And I've heard stories, and it's like the passion and the zeal. And I'm, I want to get to one because I want to learn what it is to fight with God for breakthrough, to fight with God to see a city change and see my life change and, and my family affected. So the last point I want to pull out of this passage is the value that the church in the book of Acts placed on people who were vulnerable or poor or overlooked. From first glance, you could think from this passage that 
the elders or the or the apostles, sorry, the twelve apostles, turn their nose up at the at the job of serving tables. You might think that from your from the worldview we're coming from. Say, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait, ministry of the word of God to wait on tables. You might think, oh, you know, they're saying that it's a it's a lower thing, it's a lesser thing. I don't want to do that. Someone else go do it. But when you read the next verse, you realize the value and the weight they put on this task. They say, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And then we find out what Stephen, who one of the seven, is like. He's a man full of the Spirit, full of miracles and power, the authorities can't stand up to him because he's got the wisdom of God in him. He's one of the people they chose to do this task of looking after the distribution of food to widows. So the apostles are saying, we need to put our best guys on, the, on this task. We need to put our best efforts, our best money, our best resources, our best people onto the task that is being neglected. Men who are full of the spirit and wisdom, not just, oh, you know, throw someone at it because it's not important. They're putting their best people in the job. And the reason is that is they felt that their specific calling was to lead this movement called the church in prayer and the ministry of the word. And they needed to be they needed to honor what God was calling them to do, but put people in place who were of high caliber to do this task. They they valued the practical, behind-the-scenes kind of work, the stuff that isn't always seen, not the person preaching up the front or someone who's getting all the attention, but the work that's behind the scenes, the stuff that's like the practical, nitty-gritty, get food, distribute it, make sure no one's left out, make sure people aren't hungry, they put a high value on that task. They didn't make some distinction between the spiritual and the not-so-spiritual. It's about obedience to God and serving and worshipping Him through that. And I think this high value of looking after those who might be poor or neglected or easily overlooked, or out of sight, out of mind, that's the same heart that we need to keep growing as a church. It's the same heart that we need. I'd love us to keep growing as individuals and as a church that looks after the needy and the hurting amongst us as a people, but then also looks up and sees the city that we're in, the area that we're in, the region that we're in, and goes, here are the needs, here are the, the problems we're going to become a people who are practical, hardworking, and resourceful to help meet those needs in the community. And when you look around us, there's a lot of need, isn't there, in the communities around us. Sometimes it can feel a bit overwhelming. I just want to take one example from here, and from Porirua. I've got a friend who used to work um, for the local MP, and a lot of what they did was dealing with people who were like, they were like the last resort for people who had problems. They'd go to the MP's office and be like, look, I'm on, my, I'm on my last resort. I don't know where else to go, and I need help. And often it was to do with accommodation. That was the story that came through again and again. It was, I need a safe place to live. And he was telling me that there's a big waiting list of people who are waiting for emergency housing, and there's like scales of of uh, you know importance and there's a lot of people on the first on the first level that's like the most important just a rolling list of people who are living in unsafe places whether they're single mum with kids and they don't have enough space or this damp and and or they're living with lots of people or just or nowhere to go i'd love us just to kind of take a moment and just dream for a moment i know this is only one example but just take a moment to dream and think 
what would it look like for us as a church to play our part in the accommodation problem in Porirua? How amazing would it be if we could take steps along with other great organisations and churches to provide emergency and longer term housing for people where they can go and be safe and see them thrive. Because the the truth is it's actually pretty hard to deal with other problems in life if you don't have a safe place to live. It's hard to deal with all the rest of the stuff. Once you've got that sorted, at least it's a springboard, at least it's a chance that you can deal with other things that might be surrounding you or oppressing you or even spiritually, you know, like let's provide a great place to live and then Hey, if they want to know about Jesus, let's introduce them to Jesus, who's the the answer to all problems. But even the practical stuff, it's easier to get that sorted if you have a place to live. And my friend was telling me that for a single male in Porirua, if you've got no place to go for the night, you actually have to go all the way to Upper upper Wellington CBD to get to a night shelter. Often, that's the only place often to go. And that night shelter that's there is over-representative percentage-wise of people from Porirua. When you look at the stats of the region, there's too many. There's, there's more people from Porirua than there should be in terms of the amount of people that live here because there's such a need. And obviously that's just single men. There are a lot of families, single mums, you, know, you name it, there are people who need help in this area. I guess what I'm doing is I just want to throw it out there because I, I want us to think, what, what could God do? He's a big God. What could we do, you know? What could we pray into? What could we partner with? What could we throw our money into that could help these kind of problems? I know it's just one. It's an important one. But you know, it's not just about looking outwardly at the community. That's really important. But we can look within ourselves and go, where are the overlooked? Where are the vulnerable? Where are the needy amongst us? Man, I was privileged this week with a really, really sick family with lots of offers of people to make dinners and look after us. I was like, wow, what a privilege to be part of a church that would do that for us. But where is, the, where is the, uh, the needy amongst us? Where is the overlook? Where is the kind of out of sight, out of mind? Well, there are, there are obviously different areas we could talk about, but one that just is, comes to mind straight away on a morning like this morning is the kids' work. You know, our kids are out there. The people who work with them, they just work their butts off every week. You know, it's tiring, it's hard. If you're working with the kids' work, you basically get two songs. And then you're out for the rest of it. You don't hear the news about like what's happening, what's coming out. You miss the preach. You miss kind of the bulk of worship. That's a sacrifice that those guys take week in, week out. And as we heard this morning, our kids' workers do such an amazing job with our kids. And it's not just babysitting. I mean, the mindset of let's get them out there so that we can meet with God in here because we're the serious people and, you know, Stop being kids because we need to meet with God. You know That's completely wrong. We send them out there so they can specifically have stuff tailored to them where they can meet with God and we can meet with God. I loved hearing about them wanting to step out into, you know, into the prophetic more or learn about the miracles of Jesus or you know, the things they're doing. That's, that's crucial and it's so important to us. And as many pieces, said, it's not just that they're the church of tomorrow, Although that is important because our kids are the ones who are going to be the adults soon and leading and leading their friends to Christ and leading families full of God. But they're also a crucial part of us now that we need to invest into. But it's not like, it's not like you know, famous work, you know what I mean? You don't, you don't stand up here and get all the praise and, and go, oh, you know, I've got 100 people listening to me, you know, so I'm more important than, the, than someone who's working on Christ right now. <laughs> That's completely a wrong mindset. We are a body and we all serve in different areas and that is crucial to us as a, as a family. 
So we need to realize it's not just babysitting, but actually our kids' work is one area we need to give our best people, our best time, our best resources, our best prayers into. And actually they have needs as well. Like they need more people for the rosters. Um, some, of, like, some of the unsung heroes, whether it's Rachel or Simon or Becca, sometimes they're on week after week because they're filling gaps that haven't been filled. And actually we'd love it if other people would sign up and say, hey, I want to help. I want to give my time once every now and again to give, give people a break who, and some of them are with kids all week and then they come to church and do it again, you know. And it's like, that's okay, but how good would it be to give them a break so that they can get fed so that when they're back with their kids all week, they can be feeding into them and they can, they can feel like they've, they've gained something as well. It's close to the heart of God. Uh, my son Levi, he's still in creche, so you might think, well, that's just babysitting. It's not, even with that age. Uh, six months ago, like, I've been teaching him how to pray for the sick and pray for healing, and he's about two and a half now, but probably about six months ago, you know, I've been saying to him every, every few nights, Levi, like, I get his hands like this and hold his hands and say, Levi, these hands are going to see miracles. These hands are going to see healing, and he'd, he'd say the words back to me. It's very cute. And then one morning I woke up feeling really sick, and I thought, oh, I'm not even going to be able to go to work if this carries on. And I said to Levi, Levi, can you just pray for Daddy because I'm not feeling very well? And he puts his hands on me and he prays a prayer, Dear Jesus, look after Daddy, and then burps or something, you know, instead of Amen, you know. It's all, it's all just part of the fun. And you know what? I was better that whole day. And I went to work completely fine, had no problems all day. So he's two, he's just seen his first healing. I was 17 before I saw the first person healed who I laid hands on. We need to start him young because God doesn't wait. You know, he's not waiting for something to move, move through people. He just wants people who are up for it. And those kids, they're up for it. So the why do we serve? It's really because of this. The great verse in Hebrews that I've been dwelling on recently says this. Therefore, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. That's why we serve. We're sharing what we have with others. It's our emotions, our time, our energy. We're doing good and sharing with those who need it. That's why we do it. We don't, we don't fill a roster because it needs filling for the sake of it. We, do, we, we serve with the kids' work. We serve on set-up, sound, because we're wanting to share what we've got with others to bless other people. And that's praise to God. And that's the best thing you can do with your life, is worship God. Why don't we stand up, eh?